Hello, my name is Matt Pullman, and welcome to episode 10 of Missing Words. In this episode, we sat down with Brooklyn Council member Justin Brennan. Brooklyn bred and raised. Brennan cut his teeth in the New York hardcore scene, playing guitar in bands like Most Precious Blood and Indecision. After years of touring internationally, Brennan took a step back from touring heavily and started diving into a variety of different career paths, including getting involved in union organizing, government affairs, and educational work. As a lifelong resident of Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, Brennan saw firsthand the issues that his community was experiencing. His post-music life culminated in him running for council member in the 43rd District of New York in 2017. Brennan ended up winning that election with just over 50% of the vote. Just looking at Brennan's Twitter account is so different compared to most other politicians. One moment you might be seeing tributes to Sonic Youth, or you might see him sharing his own personal battles with the crumbling MTA, or even fighting the, now, failed attempt to move Amazon to New York City earlier this year. But contributing to that uniqueness is Brennan and his experience in the punk and hardcore community. Being in a band certainly must give you a different tool set, especially when it comes to dealing with the political spectrum. As his Twitter profile states, never took a poli-sci class, not a lawyer, toured the world in a van. But even with that different mindset or background, there were challenges in establishing himself after winning that election. I guess the biggest challenge is time management, as boring as that sounds. Um, sounds like some bad, like, corporate, like, audiobook. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, just sort of, um, managing my time and making sure that, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, um, I think I, I got elected because, um, I was so responsive, um, and I still am, but it's important for me to maintain that level of responsiveness, um, and accessibility, you know, now that, that, um, I'm officially elected, you know, um, I don't want it to be like the guy who was running for office and he was so responsive and easy to talk to and easy to, to get to, and then he gets elected and you don't hear from him again, you know? So right. I think part of that is sort of my own, um, you know, goals that I set for myself to make sure that I maintain that level of um, accessibility or whatever as, as much as I did as a candidate or as an activist or a community, you know, organizer or whatever. Um that's been tough. And, you know, just prioritizing stuff, you know, um, you know, different legislation that you want to get done. And, you know, I'm still a big believer in, uh, you know, the average person, resident work, walking into your office and saying there ought to be a law. And then, you know, taking that idea and, and, and trying to turn it into some legislation that could help a whole lot of people, you know. So I, I always have my ear to the ground and I'm very much, um, you know, I try to spend as little time at City Hall as I can because I like to be in my district. I like to be with the people that elected me, and I like to be, you know, on the ground and, and, and you know, being a part of the neighborhoods I represent and, you know, um, keeping track of stuff and following trends and, you know, uh, trying to fix problems, you know, whether it's, you know, a pothole on someone's corner or it's like trying to figure out, why there are so many vacant storefronts in our neighborhood, you know? Um, so I, I definitely am more of a district guy where I like to be in the, in the district, um, than I do, 
you know, dreaming about fancy policy ideas at City Hall. Um, but I, I also find that I get some of my best ideas for legislation when I'm talking to working families and working people, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, I, the time just flies by. I don't know if it's because I'm getting old or what. Like, time is really flying by. Like, I can't believe I've been, you know, I'm going to close out my first year already of being an elected official. Um, it really just flew by. And I think, um, you know, having a lot of fun and, you know, certainly taking, very much taking the responsibility um, and, and this opportunity that I've been given, very much taking that seriously, but definitely not taking myself too seriously, you know, remembering when to laugh about stuff and, um, you know, and trying to put things into perspective too. You know, I mean, there was uh, there was an issue in one of the neighborhoods I represent where people were complaining about they didn't like the way the holiday lights looked this year. And I said, well, let's just think about how lucky we are that that's our biggest problem right now. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's keeping things in perspective and, you know, and, um, Trying to stay focused when every day you wake up and there's some new awful shit coming down from D.C. or coming up from D.C., you know, and and trying to... I I think the role of a local elected official has changed in the post-Trump world that we're in. You know, I uh, I think gone are the days when you could sort of hide behind... Uh, you know, the civics and say, well, that's, that's not a uh, city issue, so I can't get it, you know, I, I don't have any power over that. You know, that just doesn't suffice. You know, you need to be involved. You need to be constantly finding ways to get creative, to, um, block or circumvent or prevent, uh, you know, some of the, the, the awfulness coming from DC, to be constantly finding ways to get creative, to, um, block or circumvent or prevent, uh, you know, some of the, the, the awfulness coming from D.C. And I think we spend a lot of time doing that as well on the state and city level, you know, making sure that New York City and New York State is is safe and, and taken care of, you know, um, you know, even as, uh, you know, every day there's something new that we have to fight for. So um, I think the role of all elected officials has really changed in that in that regard. Um, you know, because we, you know, have to look, um, have to do a lot of soul searching and, and really looking into our powers uh, on the different levels of government to see, you know, where we could do stuff that is, uh, you know, putting the city or the state first, you know. Um, so that's, that's a new dynamic. You know, that's definitely a new piece of it and it's always there. You know, that, that movie is sort of always running in the background and, um, you know, even as you are, uh, taking care of sort of the common issues that everybody deals with, you know, whether you're rich, poor, young, old, black, white, Republican, Democrat, whatever. Everybody thinks the subways fucking suck and they're right. And, you know, like that kind of stuff is, um, you know, stuff that you fight every day, you know, before you even get involved in sort of the ideological stuff. You don't really need to have been in a band or have those firsthand experiences to relate with the grueling nature of touring. Being in a small van with other people and their issues and smells on a day-to-day basis must really harden you to a certain extent. Problem solving in terms of affording gas money, having enough money for food that day, getting screwed by the booker. We've all heard these stories. With Brennan, it's interesting to see how that approach influenced his political rise. 
and the influence of the punk and hardcore community has seen its way into his day-to-day life as a politician. As a tweet from earlier this summer stated, Punk rock at its best embraces an openness to experience, a reliance on reasoning and evidence, and a questioning of received wisdom. This is why I believe we need more punks in politics. I think, you know, punk rock hardcore, like, definitely prepares you for just about anything um, in ways that you may not realize or at least didn't realize at the time, you know, um, you know, dealing with shit every day, like, you know, especially spending so much time on the road where every day something new is thrown at you and um, meeting kids from so many different backgrounds, you know, whether you're in South Africa or Australia or Texas, you know, um, and finding those sort of common bonds, you know, I think that's a very, a very valuable lesson and something that, you know, you carry with you that there's, you can always get to some sort of common ground with people. And I think in politics, especially today, that's super important. You know, um, if you can empathize and sort of, you know, come to an agreement that we may not both agree with the way to get there. We still probably want to get to the same place. Um, so, and, you know, I think it's just having respect and, for people and, you know, um, that everyone's got their cross to bear and everyone is sort of fighting their own private war and no one is more important than anybody else. And, um, you know, that sort of respect for people that, um, that I think you get through dealing with so many different types of people, different types of personalities and um, from so many different backgrounds and, you know, whether it's economic, all that stuff, you know. So I think, um, and even just problem solving, you know, like, you know, when uh, when you're on tour in, in Holland and you're in a rented van that you weren't supposed to take out of France, and a tractor backs up into it, like, you know, when you're about to play a show with Run DMC and fucking Holland. It's like, all right, well, we've got to figure this out now because no one else is going to figure this out for us. And I don't even remember how we got out of some of these situations, but you do, you know, and I think so much of that is is developing those people skills and negotiating with people and, and that kind of stuff, you know. Um and I think it just it just gives you this sort of sense of fearlessness um, that prepares you for you know you see things just much more clearly and I think um, you don't have some of those you know, like I was I did development for a while like fundraising and stuff and, and I was never intimidated by you know having to ask um, you know some donor for like a million dollars, you know, because I, cause I've, right. slept on floor, I've slept on floors and I'm like, you know, like, so I, I think that, um, you know, it just, it just builds this sort of confidence in you that, um, you know, anything is possible and, 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 you know, it, it reminds you of, of what's important, your friends and family and experiences and life is short and all that bullshit. So I think it just kind of, it just gives you a, a little something, a little something extra that, you know, you can't learn in school and, and that um, the people that have followed the typical path, you know, um, may not be familiar with, you know, because it, was, it just opens you up to so many unique experiences that can never be 
you know, recreated, you know, um, now there's so many places that I've gone to and traveled with the bands that like, I'll probably never go to again, but even if I did, like it wouldn't be the same experience. They wouldn't, I wouldn't see it or experience it the same way I did as like, you know, a teenager or 20 something on the road, you know, with my best friends, like playing songs that we wrote in high school, you know? Um, but I found it's interesting because I've definitely found, um, that there's a bunch of, that, you know, you run into a lot of people who eventually gravitate towards this space, whether it's running for office or, uh, in policy, um, or, you know, or good government kind of stuff. Like you do run into folks who, um, are from the scene, you know, and they, and they sort of never put their toolbox away. Like they kind of just took what they believed in in hardcore or punk or whatever, and they just kind of, made a, you know, bought a suit and made a life out of it, you know, so, um, which, that is very inspiring to me, you know, to see, you know, like, if I give a speech and I say, street by street, block by block, and someone goes, I know where that's from, <laughs> you know, so, um, like, that's really cool, you know, that yeah. there, there are some folks who, you know, when the music stopped, they didn't just, like, fuck off and go do something else, you know, um, that's inspiring to me, you know, even people that weren't, like, I wasn't necessarily a, you know, uh, political back then, but I was certainly, you know, interested in animal rights, you know, issues and AIDS activism and that stuff as I was getting into hardcore. So, um, you know, just, just sort of being so, um, you know, it, it, inspired by what you learned through those experiences or it made such an impact on you that you didn't want to just say like, Oh yeah, I used to be a hardcore kid. Like, you know, you wanted to like try to, you know, uh, assimilate it or make it part of your career or whatever, you know, like what, what you did after you grew up, so to speak. Um, that's always cool to see, you know, that there's people from, um, from the scene that are now, you know, working in Washington or whatever. It makes us feel like, you know, we've sort of infiltrated the system, you know, and I think, you know, I think in a lot of ways, um, I always kind of felt like, you know, if I wanted to really make a change or make a difference, then maybe, you know, instead of, you know, rallying outside the building, I should try to find a way inside the building and, and affect change sort of from the inside out. Um, and that's what I ended up doing, you know, and it's cool to see that other people uh, sort of sort of took that same route. Brennan is a part of the youth-oriented movement tackling the political realm on various different levels. His story and rise is similar to others from the past couple years. Max Rose from Staten Island, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, Beto O'Rourke, and many others. There are so many different backgrounds and people rising up in the age of Trump to make a difference in their community. Regardless of class, income, or gender, people are pissed off and taken to their communities in order to bring change. And we are seeing that effect in the political sphere as well in many ways. You know, look, I mean, I think the midterm elections always are a correction on whoever is currently in office, right? I mean, I think that's just historically what it looks like. I think that there's obviously uh, a lot of buyer's remorse and folks that, that voted for Trump because he sold them a bill of goods and told them that, you know, he, he ran on this sort of bullshit populist agenda that he was going to put people back to work and all this stuff that he's you know, there's no way he was ever going to be able to do. Um, so I think people are still having some buyer's remorse big time. Um, 
I think that, you know, I think you have candidates now who are attractive to voters because they're really focusing on putting people over party. You know, um, the, the uh, you know the, the candidates that that I um, endorsed and, and really helped work for this year were definitely folks um, who fit that description. You know, and um, um, you know I think in the in the you know in the world that we're in right now where everything is so tribalized and everyone is sort of retreated to their little tribal corners. You know, it's important to um, you know, get back to basics and, and talk about stuff that, um, you know, affects people no matter where they're from and no matter what they believe, you know. And I think getting back to that sort of, you know, fighting for working people, I mean, that's something that it doesn't matter, you know, what what party you're with, you know. So I think the democratic values, I mean, you know, you gotta, you got to get back to basics of, like, fighting for working people and, and, and you know, realizing or recognizing that, Everyone is trying to make a better life for their kids and, and provide for their families, and you know, it's just this basic kind of stuff that gets lost in the noise of, you know, Fox News or even MSNBC. You know, that this part, this constant partisan drumbeat. You know, um, and I think that resonates with voters. You know, I think voters want to know your track record. They want to know what you've done before. You were running for office. I think that's important, especially in local elections. They want to know, um, you know, what you've been up to before anybody was looking, so to speak. Um, and um, but but I think that sincerity and that willingness to roll up your sleeves and fix problems as they come, and 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 always put people first and put the people that elected you first and foremost. I think that's always going to be, um, you know, the, the best way to run and, and the best things you could ask for in, you know, in a candidate. It's so easy to feel helpless and overwhelmed. But the other side of that coin is when you feel like doing something and don't have the outlet for this rage or desire to get involved. It's a hopeless feeling and one that cannot be solved by retweeting a post or sharing an article in the social media bubble. Brennan serves as an example of a way to speak up and take the power back. But even he experiences those issues as a politician. When we spoke a couple months back, New York was about to be the new home for Amazon. A move that just seemed totally unnecessary, the amount of jobs here, and totally unnecessary as the city's subway seemingly crumbles around its citizens. But there was so much protest for the move that Amazon eventually scrapped the idea entirely. It was a win. It showed you could win and not back down, despite the challenges. But there are many challenges ahead. This was just one example of how one's influence can shape results in their community. You know, they don't make it easy. You know, I mean, there was a hearing the other night for uh, an MTA hearing um, on the second night of Hanukkah at, at, that started at 5.30 on Staten Island. Um, it's almost like, I mean, if you don't want us to come, just <laughs> why have the fucking hearing? <laughs> you know, why have a public hearing if, you, if you're doing everything you can to make sure the public can't get there? Um, I think, I like to think that people realize the power that they have now more than ever. Um, I like to think that people realize the power they have over uh, the people that they put into office. You know, if I get a phone call from someone and they're concerned about something, 
Like, I take that seriously. I don't need to get 50 phone calls, you know. Um, I think that you should never underestimate the power of, you know, taking it to the streets and making your your dissatisfaction known and, and writing to your legislators. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, people need to realize that the power is in their hands and they put us here and they could take us out of here if they don't think we're doing a good job. And, um and that's something that I value, you know, like that keeps me honest. It keeps me on my toes, and that's how it should be. And I work for my constituents. They're the ones that elected me. So I think it's important that you have legislators sometimes need to be reminded of that, you know. And I think, look, I mean, I think some of the, the you know, in some ways the, the deck is stacked against us in the sense that as far as, you know, public transportation is concerned, being controlled by the state legislator, state legislature, you have, um, I was talking about this the other day, I mean, you have folks who are representing Canadian border towns who have more of a say over what happens to the NRD and 123 trains than you or I do, you know, um, which is just, it doesn't make any sense, you know, and then and then everyone wonders why we're so cavalier uh, about cutting transit funding. Well, because you got a guy who, you know, represents Rochester making decisions on what's going to happen to, you know, funding in, you know, in Morningside Heights. What the fuck do you think he's going to do? He doesn't care. You know, why should he? You know, so um, there, there's certain things there where, I think um, people definitely need to be educated on. Um, they need to be given the tools um, that are required to, to do some of this battle. You know, I think, uh, the, you know, the, the court of public opinion is very, very important and a, and a really, really valuable, um, you know, tool, you know, in the arsenal, you know. Um, but but I at the same time, I understand why people, you know, just just kind of, mumble and grumble and buy a copy of the New York Post and go to work and think nothing's ever going to get better. You know, those are the folks that I'm trying to get to, you know, between between people like that and people who I worry suffer in silence and don't know who to come to, don't know that there are people who are elected to help them with problems that they may feel are insurmountable. You know, that's the kind of stuff that keeps you up at night if you truly care, you know, um, for every person that, you know, complains that a car is blocking their driveway as if that's their biggest problem in life, there are people who don't know where the next meal is coming from, you know, and it's, it's you know, it's sort of, you know, it's your responsibility, I think, as an elected official, as a leader, to put yourself out there so these people know they can come to you with their problems, whether they're they're big or they're small, you know. Um, but I think people just need to need to need to stop underestimating the power that they have and letting their voices be heard, you know, and um, because, you know, politicians do listen. And even if they're so, uh, you know, self-satisfied that all they listen to is because they're afraid they're going to lose their job, well, then that's, you know, that's the power you have over elected officials to to say, look, if you don't, you know, take this seriously, well, I'm going to remember this, you know, when you're up for re-election in four years or two years, whatever it is, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And that's that's the power dynamic. Like it shouldn't feel like it's a threat. That's 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 how our democracy is supposed to work. You know. The overall cultural acceptance of vegetarian and vegan lifestyles keeps advancing. Burger King is going to sell the Impossible Burger, which is pretty astounding. Dunkin' Donuts is going to have it as well. 
beyond people trying to eat less meat, a vegan and vegetarian lifestyle, whether you are full-on vegan or vegetarian or just reducing your consumption of meat, does have an actual impact on the earth and climate change. We talk about cars, planes, travel, tailpipe emissions, etc., etc., and the effects on our climate. But what about the actual food we are eating on a daily basis? Throughout his career, music, politics, and personally, Brennan has always supported a vegetarian lifestyle and animal rights. But with the rise of the Green New Deal, he believes that we could make a serious impact on this planet by switching to a plant-based diet. I've always been um, a believer in, you know, not trying to shove anything down anyone's throat. You know, like this is a decision that I made and, um, you know, I'm happy to talk to you about why I think it's the right decision and why I I think more people should join me in this decision, but I'm not, I've never been the type to, um, you know, make demands or, 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 you know, that kind of thing. It's just never been my style. Um, whether, you know, when I was straight edge or, or vegan or whatever. Um, I think as, um, you know, clearly as climate change, you know, becomes more and more, um, of a mainstream issue, or as those of us try to push to make sure that it stays, you know, a mainstream issue, um, I think there's a lot to talk about, um, animal agriculture and the effects that, uh, meat production have uh, on our planet, you know, and I think that there. I think at first, uh, people don't understand the connection, or they think you're crazy when they, when you suggest that, you know, the hamburger that you're eating is actually, um, you know, just uh, just as bad for, for for the climate as you know your car that's running outside. You know, so um, I think it's I think it's it's a, it's a challenge, um, but I think that. As we uh, really dive more into climate change and, and the ways that we're going to, um, you know, make efforts to to counteract, you know, tailpipe emissions from planes and trains and cars and buses and boats, um, you know, you got to talk about this stuff. You know, you got to talk about cattle and livestock and animal agriculture, you know. Um, yeah, you got to talk about, you know, that we need to be doing more to mandate, you know, cleaner fuels in our in, in our buildings. Um, and we got to support infrastructure for, you know, cleaner forms of transportation and, and mass transit. Um, you know, but we also have to be talking about the food that we eat, you know, and, 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 and the food that, you know, that, that cities um are consuming and, and and that we're buying for our schools, for our prisons, for our hospitals. Um you know, and but I think it's still it's still very shocking to people because I think that I think a lot of people feel that climate change is such a massive problem that it's like, well it does you know, what I personally do doesn't matter. And I understand that. Um but that's the point is that if we all do it, we could make a difference, you know? Like, I'm not expecting that I post a link on Twitter and people are going to go vegetarian, but I'm just trying to get people to think about it, you know? Um, and, um, and when you're thinking about ways of reducing your carbon footprint, that, um, that this is one of them. And, you know, I don't think any city alone can completely stop climate change, but we could absolutely make a, a major dent um in, in curbing its effects, you know, that's absolutely, you know, the same way that people think that their vote doesn't matter. Well, 
you know, I mean, I I won by barely a thousand votes, so every vote matters, you know. So every move that you make, everything you do, uh, it does matter, you know. And I think that, you know, it's about combining our efforts. That that if we if we can help lead the world in in reducing meat consumption, um, then you know we can we're going to help lead the world in mitigating the effects of climate change, you know. So um, there's a lot of talk about a green new deal. Um, you know, and I think that if you if you want to talk seriously about climate change, you've got to be talking about this stuff too. So I hope that this also becomes, you know, I'm gonna do everything I can to make it part of the, uh, you know, of the mainstream conversation when you talk about climate change. That you got to talk about this stuff also. And we come back to our shows often pondered over and asked question: How do we all stay sane? It just feels like every day is presenting us with the sign of the impending apocalypse. The months and years are passing, and it just seems like it's never going to end. But music, ultimately, brings us back. And Brennan is no different in terms of dealing with the nonstop stress bombs of living in this day and age. I listen to a lot of Megadeth. <laughs> um, a lot of Rust in Peace in my, uh, in my iPod. Um... um yeah, look, I mean, I think that ultimately I always like to believe that the reasonable people of the planet will prevail. Um, you know, um, I'd like to think that people are going to want to snap back to some collective reality where we're all pushing and rolling in the same direction to, you know, make our country uh, more fair and, um, you know, um, and not this sort of you know, um, every man for himself kind of, you know, divide and conquer bullshit that we're dealing with now. Um, but I think by, you know, electing people that truly care and, and, and electing and, and trying to attract more people to, uh, you know, public service that, you know, it doesn't pay a lot of money, but like, you know, you, you can do a lot of good here. And if that's what you really care about, I mean, public policies, it's a great place to be where you can, you know, try to leave the world just a little bit better than how you found it. And I think that's a victory for anyone who can feel that they actually accomplished that, you know. Um, but I think, you know, it's about the Democrats, you know, getting a better message and making sure that we're telling people, look, we, you know, the greatest trick uh, the Republicans ever played was convincing people that they cared about the, the working man or woman, you know. They don't give a shit about working people, you know. So um, I think, you know, it, it's, it's up to us to get back to basics, like I was saying before, and that, you know, if everyone, you know, plays by the same rules and works hard, like, they should have every opportunity to get ahead, and that's what this this country is all about. It's not about shutting our doors and, you know, and, and acting like, uh, you know, people are coming for our stuff, you know? No one wants our stuff, so, <laughs> um, you know, um, but, you know, I, look, I always feel, you know, even, like, during my own campaign, you know, I was running against a Republican who, you know, was, was, you know, getting into some pretty ugly tactics. It was like, you know, I would rather run on love and hope and lose than, than run on, on hate and fear and win. You know, and I think that, you know, um, I think that love and hope and, and, and bringing people together, I mean, you know, not to get all emo, but I think that is really ultimately what's going to prevail, you know, and, and realizing that, we have so much more in common than, than than we do not, you know, and and realizing that we're all in this together. And again, like we might not all agree with with the 
the the road or the route we're going to take, but we all want to get to the same place, you know. And um, and that's the kind of stuff that inspires me that um, that you know that we'll get back to to a good place, you know. I mean, I think if anything, um, you know, I think Trump, if anything, he's he's done a great job at at bringing people together, you know, who he probably didn't think he was going to bring together, you know. Um, you know, he's getting more and more people activated and off of the sidelines and getting politically involved and, you know, now we're winning elections and, you know, I don't know if that would have happened if, if he wasn't elected, you know. Um, so, um, you know, it's definitely, definitely got a lot, lot more people involved who weren't involved uh, before and um, and that can only be a good thing, you know. Thank you for listening to episode 10 of Missing Words. We know it's been a while, but man, writer's block is a hell of a thing to overcome. We appreciate your support and sticking with us in these last couple months. We hope to keep the episodes coming out on a little more consistent basis moving forward. I would like to thank Justin Brennan for speaking with me for this episode. You can keep up with him on Twitter at Justin Brennan. That's Justin B-R-A-N-N-A-N. I'll include a link with our show notes. As always, a big thanks to Bill Scholes for producing this episode. Please subscribe to the podcast through however you are listening to me speak today. Again, thank you for your support of the show, and we will be back soon enough with episode 11 of Missing Words.